Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Good morning again. <laughs> um, wonderful. If you have your Bibles, turn to them to the book of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you. And uh, they would be, they'll be thrilled to hand you a Bible and you can take that Bible home with you. Uh we're studying through First Thessalonians, and we'll make our way right through the book of Second Thessalonians. So, uh, as the time permits, as the Lord permits, and though He doesn't come to take us home, we'll <laughs> we'll continue where we're at. I have no other no other uh, course that I want to chart out on. We'll be faithful to the Word of God. So you're there, First Thessalonians chapter two, and for a moment, let's stand as we read God's Word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in in our God to speak uh, to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we use flattery words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek uh, glory from men, either from you or from others, and when we might, ha- uh, we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you, remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blameless, uh, blamelessly we have, uh, or we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you may walk worthy of God who has called you into his own kingdom and glory. You may be seated. So Paul, writing this letter, once again, we remind ourselves that the purpose for writing this is to um, write for those who have been following him around, accusing him and all of these things. But he's, in, in the passage that I just read, he's reminiscing about his time there, the time that he spent. The uh, We know it was three Sabbaths that he spent there. And, and he's also reminiscing over how his conduct was. So whenever you go, maybe you've done this, I, I do this, and you, I've done this, and um, you go to somebody's house or you're at an event, and then you walk away and you go, how did I just act there? What did I? Well, Paul's doing that here. Paul's reminiscing about how he conducted himself, how he treated this young church, how he labored among them so he was not a burden burden to anyone. And then in chapter 2, it stems from what was just said in verse 9 of chapter 1. So you can look there. He says, for they themselves, and they, this they is the opposition, um, you know, they themselves, the, the accusers. He says, Declaring, uh, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom he raised from from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so Paul had these people that were going around accusing him of being a charlatan or an imposter. He had those people that would come around right after he would 
come and plant seeds of the gospel, seeds of the word of God, then he, the, you know, people are always coming in trying to chop the fruit down, chop the trees down, you know, and whatever might sprout, whatever fruit might come up, you know, you see a little um, green starting to come out of the ground, they would try and pluck it up, but at whatever cost. And it's sad because there are some people that are just wanting to do that in the lives of people. They're wanting to do the very thing um, to take away from somebody's life being changed. And you think about the very fabric of our lives when they're being changed from that which we came. You know, before we were saved, we, you know, we, we plucked my life away, had nothing on it, nobody wanted anything from it. And all of a sudden you come to faith in Christ and you see that people come alongside and they're trying to chop you. Oh, you're using that as a crutch. Or no, you don't need to do that. Or you're just being religious and whatever it might be. And so it, it just seems that way that the devil will show up in various shades of color, whatever it might be, however they're dressed, infiltrate the church, come alongside outside of the church. You know, it's, it's interesting because... Um, when, when the church, when we were down at Katrina, we had been on very, uh, i say quite a few disaster relief programs, and we've been all over. You didn't see much print in that. You know, you don't see much print. When we were down in Biloxi, Mississippi, when uh, right when the president was there at the time when the hurricane came in, we were there a week later. The press wasn't writing about the church being down there. The first responders were the church. You didn't see the press down there writing, oh, the church is down here, praise God. They didn't say anything like that, but what did they write? First thing that you'll see them writing about is a priest in the, in the church, or you know they'll see some damage that's done that you know within the church. They'll write about that. They won't write about these good things. They always want to chop it down, and it's kind. Of, and once it's it's there for to cause division, cause you and I to just take our eyes off of what is true. And in third, uh, three, third John, it says this: I have no greater joy than than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that's a desire. Is that you and I, not only does the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, but God has this desire that you and I would walk in truth. Jesus Christ died for truth. He died for the, for the world to know that there would be only one, only one way for mankind to know that you can be saved. He wanted you to be saved. He wants us to be saved. And so he says, you know what, there's only one way and I want you to walk in truth. And so each of us has that desire. We want our children to walk in truth, do we not? I mean, look at the world that we, we live in today, but we want them, honestly, to walk in truth. And so there's no greater joy. And when you see that your children are following after the Lord, they're just walking with the Lord, it brings so much joy. Remember, I've told the story that um, when, when my kids were younger, I'd always tell them about, you know, uh, you know what, what are we going to get dad for his birthday? What are we going to get dad for Father's Day? And, I, and then, when they were young, I made this to them. I told them, I don't want anything from you other than you to walk with God. Because if you buy me things, you're not walking with God, I'm not happy. You can buy me the Corvette. Maybe you should try that, Deborah, wherever she is. But, but you know what I mean? It's just like, I, I don't care about those things. But if you're walking with the Lord, you can bring me nothing. You know, I don't wear ties. Don't give me a tie. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but, but that's just the thing. There's no greater joy than to see... The, a child walking with God, children, people of God who made that that uh, desire to walk with God to continue to do that. And so this this passage here, I think it so applies to us today because yesterday we had a leadership meeting, the information meeting, and we had a bunch of the guys that came out. And I told them, I said, man, that's, it's interesting how the Lord works this out. We're going to be talking about leaders and what to do and what not to do tomorrow, so I'm glad you're coming. I don't know if you had any plans, but you, you should come tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, we're going to look at that today. So what, what does ministry look like? What does standing up for the truth look like? And what does it not look like? And what are the things that we need to do? And Paul here, he kind of writes it out to the Thessalonians, and he says, you know what, these are the things that I wouldn't do. Or he isn't saying in that manner, but I'm going to point them out to you because he makes them very clear to us. And I think then here's what we need to do and some of the things that we should do. And so think about this too. You might don't check out because you might say, well, I'm not called to the ministry. I don't feel that burden or that calling. But you're a parent or you're, you're, uh, you're a spouse, you're married, or you're, you're a Christian, you're called to the ministry. And whatever ministry that looks like, this can apply to raising children, spouse to spouse, or it can apply to you being in a workplace out there, being a grandparent, whatever it might be, that how do we do these things and what, what, what motives or what conduct do we do? How do we get by through life? And so those are the things we're going to look at today in, in, in the first 12 verses. So 
Here's what the things you shouldn't do. Look at verse 1 as we begin. Paul writes this and he says again, he says that for you yourselves know, and he's talking about, don't, uh, I'll tell you, Paul, don't let conflict stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Again, no matter where it's from, no matter in the marriage, in the raising children, all this stuff. So he says this, he says, for you, you yourselves know, right? You know, and he's telling the church, he goes, you know, and when you say that you know, you emphatically know, you want to understand this. There's no reason for this church to doubt anything that he's about to say. He says, you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so Paul here, when he points this out, you know, understand that he was determined to never stop speaking the truth uh, in the midst of any kind of persecution, any kind of opposition. doesn't matter what the law, the world is changing like out there. It doesn't matter what my feelings are, how attached I am to this person that's living that lifestyle. I, I will love them to, unto death, and I will be truthful, though, with them unto death. The, the conflict that comes up in our lives might be great. Paul even said that there was an open door open to, or there was, yeah, there was an open door open to him to go minister the gospel, but he understood that if I go this route, that there's going to be great dangers there. You know, in, in one of his letters, he says, you know, these are the things that I know that'll take place, but there's great dangers. You see, as he mentions being bold here, what he's talking about is being frank. He says, look, he wasn't being arrogant, but he was being frank or straightforward with his with his speech he was even though i'm in the midst of the minority he says i'm going to be straightforward i'm going to speak the truth with clarity and accuracy because the truth is the only thing we have that we can stand upon ministry when you talk about ministry and for especially you can be praying for this uh, group of men that want to fill the calling of god in their lives to lead in the church i think it's wonderful um but but ministry it can be tough and you see, in Paul's life, it was tough. So ministry isn't for wimps. You can't be a wimp and be in the ministry. I'm just, there's a forewarning, you know. Uh, it's not one of those things that say, well, I, I just want to work twice a week. I'm going to be a pastor. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, good luck. Anyway, it's, um, so, so Paul says here, you know, and let me say this. I, I don't plan, I don't say that I have it all down. I don't have it all down at all. But I can say that I've been through enough that I've learned how to deal with things properly in opposition. Not all the time am I perfect, but there when opposition comes. But if you don't deal with it properly, you'll burn out, you'll throw in the towel. And remember when Paul, he learned to shake things off. Remember when he landed on the island of Malta? As a matter of fact, did you see that they found the four anchors to the boat that was shipwrecked, that Paul was in Malta? They found those anchors and they believe it to be to the vessel that Paul so everything is just coming to life. But anyway, he was on Malta, the island, and when he got a fire going there, a snake came out and bit him on the hand. Opposition was there. And what did he do? He shook it off. And that's the way we need to be in ministry. That's the way if you're called to ministry, in the marriage, and raising children, you've got to learn to shake things off and not take them so personal. And I tell you, parenting and marriage, they're the same way. I mean, they're the same way as a minister would sit and, with people and minister to them. And we have to... You have to put up with a lot. In the marriage, you have to put up with a lot, right? I like what uh, one of the pastors said. He says, you know, uh, marriage, when a man comes into the wife and marries a woman, and he comes into her world, that's where he dies. <laughs> so just understand that. <laughs> uh, so you come together. And you, you have to put up with a lot, or you're going to throw in a towel. You know, conflict will come. As a Christian, Jesus said, it's not going to be easy on you. You know, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves, but guess what? I've overcome the world, so be of good cheer. So he wants you to understand that there's hope in the midst of all the trials, all the conflict, it doesn't matter uh, what's going on. And you know what? You might be tired of the point of conflict. You might be tired of arguing with your spouse or your child or in the ministry saying, man, this is tough. But you feel, you, you, you got to feel that the, you know, oftentimes you feel that the conflict is greater than the reward. But in reality, it might be that conflict that is just the very rubbing to the pearl that eventually brings forth the shine. Maybe the conflict or Jesus is allowing, the Holy Spirit is allowing things to come our way so that it's rubbing us a little bit. 
rubbing us a little bit to get us a little more of ourselves out of the way. See, if you want easy street, don't become a pastor. If you want easy street, don't become a church leader. If you want easy street, don't become a parent, right? Because if you want easy street, uh, don't have children. And I'm saying that because it's a huge responsibility. I applaud the young men and the young women who are having children and raising them for Jesus. I applaud you. Because it is in this day and age, you're a minority. And for this day and age to live outside of the church for Jesus, you're a minority. As a matter of fact, if you don't want to have children and raise them for Jesus, don't have children. Please. Because if you don't raise them for Jesus, you're setting them up for the devil. You're fattening them up for the devil. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to come alongside of them and he's going to uh, rip them apart. He's going to eat them. And he will destroy them. So if you're not going to have children and raise them for Jesus, please don't have children. It's not fair to them. And you're not holding up to the responsibility uh, you know, for the Lord if you're a Christian. And then the other thing, if you don't want to live up to your vows or your marriage or your, or your honor to God in that, then don't get married. If you're a single person, don't get married. Um, why do I bring all this up? Because in everything, in life, in marriage, in raising children, in ministry, you're going to endure, you're going to endure some type of conflict at some time. It, it's just bound to happen. I'm sure I can get a big crowd that says amen to that, right? Because you know it to be true. And if you are married and you are raising children, you're in the middle of conflict, don't throw in the towel. Just keep on plotting through. Listen, that's just part of life. Life isn't here. You're going to be so easy here. It's just the way it is. Remember, in 2 Timothy, Paul was encouraging the young pastor, and he said this. He said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore, here he is, Timothy, here's a guy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in the warfare entangles himself with the affairs of the world that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, so he says, you're going to endure hardship, but guess what? Be pleasing to the one who called you to be a soldier. He enlisted you in the army of God. Who was that? It was Jesus. So be pleasing to him. Honor him with your life. Honor him with the things that you do. And when things get tough, remember what he said to John the Baptist. Here's a guy who was going to be beheaded because he stood up for rightness in, in front of Herod. And he was going to be beheaded. When, when John was in jail, he didn't understand at all uh, what was going on. Jesus is out there doing the ministry that I foretold about. I broadcasted to the world that he's coming. And now I'm in jail. I can't do anything. So he sent his disciples to Jesus and they came back to him. And uh, they said, uh, did you check with Jesus? You tell him you're in prison. He goes, yep, you told him you're in prison. And he went through the list of things. He says, yep, he's he's who he is. There's no doubt about it. He's the Christ. He's healing. People are seeing. People are being ministered to. They're being healed. And then he said, oh yeah, by the way, John, Jesus also asked if you are offended because of what you're going through. Or don't be offended because of me speaking of Jesus. Sometimes we have to ask that of ourselves, do we not? I'm going through a hard time, but are you offended at Christ because you're having to go through this hard time? Are you offended because things aren't just glassy seas? Are you offended at that? I have to ask myself that. And I've really come to that point of saying, you know what? Okay, Lord, whatever you have, that's what I want to do. Let's Just give me the right heart. Speaking of some of the conflict of Paul that Paul faced, you see that he was arrested. He was uh, arrested in treatment. He was uh, uh, treated, treated in Jerusalem wrong. Was two years imprisonment. How many of you would be, for wrongfully being in prison, would you still be there? Would you still be following God with that pure heart? He was perilous journeys from Caesarea to Rome. Uh, he was shipwrecked. He had that snake bite that I talked about. His first imprisonment in Rome, in Caesarea, he, he first went there. Then he had this house arrest in Rome. And then Paul's second uh, Roman imprisonment, which resulted in his execution. So uh, not to say that, but in 2 Corinthians, or, yeah, 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about all the perils. He says, five times I, was, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. I was stoned. Not as they get stoned today. He was stoned with stones. He was stoned and he was left for dead. Would you still follow? Would you be faithful? You see, he didn't ask for that, did he? And he's saying, all these things have come upon me. 
And his concern wasn't for, well, that I might get out of it or that I might have better food or finally have some dessert with my meal. He wasn't concerned with that. His concern was for all the other churches. You see, the reason why Paul can go through conflict is the same reason that you and I can get through conflict if our minds are set right. And that's this. That we realize what we get on the other side. See, that keeps us motivated. I have heaven. Everything that I live for here on earth, what is it? It's going to come and fade. And if I'm working to pay for that car off or pay that car, get the bigger car, the faster car, or whatever it might be, or, you know, jet-setting around the world. I kind of kidded with the guys in the, in the discipleship group yesterday. I said, you know, I've got a arm, I, I mean, I've got a, a bodyguard and I've got a pilot, and all I need a plane. Let's go. Just kidding. Just kidding. But you know what? We're going to face conflict. And conflict is going to be there. And the marriage is going to be there. Our children is going to be there. But we can't throw in a towel. We just got to go to the cross. And that's what keeps us going and remembering, wait, heaven is right around the corner. Heaven is right around the corner. And that's the promise of God. And so, you know what? There are too many times that we're maybe too invested or preoccupied in the things of this world. Man, we got to look to heaven. We got to look to Jesus and say, God, help us. Even in the midst of conflict, those things just aren't worth getting us uh, moved from what God has for us. And so don't let conflict move you or get you to quit doing what God has. It's not you have conflict in marriage. Elaine and I have been married for 34 years and we still have irreconcilable differences. I mean, you know, there's just the way it's going to be. It's just just life. But we love each other. We're going to get through those things. My children do things that, uh, I mean, they're grown and on their own. But even when they were young, they did things that, well, what are they doing? Why are they doing I don't understand what they're doing. But I didn't know. I was just coming out of the world and coming, trying to walk with God and do the right thing. But listen, don't let conflict stop you from what God has for you. Especially a conflict within the church. People think, well, church is a safe place. It is, it is, it is, it is. But there are times when the devil shows up in the church. You ever notice that? And he wants to cause conflict from within. If he can't beat him out there, he'll try and send one of his people in here. And they'll be dressed just like you and I. Sports coat, nice shoes, you know, whatever. And they'll come in here, get to know you, and all of a sudden they'll turn on you and bite you. And they'll start gossiping about this person or that person. And all of a sudden, I'm leaving that church. Why would you leave the church? You're going to go and so it's going to happen somewhere else. Why don't you help with the problem? It's just the way it is. We're always going to have conflict here. We've got to work through it. The second thing that Paul... Uh, speaks about here as he says to these never teach in error he says in verse 3 for our exhortation did not come from error and cleanness nor was it in deceit you see when he wrote to the corinthian church and he said in chapter one or chapter two of, of the first letter he said for i determined not to know anything among you except jesus christ and him crucified Th- this is it i mean if there's anything else you just keep that the main focus we keep the main thing the main thing what is the main thing Jesus Christ. And you got to keep that there. We're not going to teach in error. We're not going to teach with bad motives. We're not going to teach with, you know, oftentimes when you teach erroneous, it's because of your, your motives are bad. You're looking for something else. You want something other, something that's probably more personal added to you. And Paul says, he assured them the message is true. If you see what he said, he says it's the gospel of God earlier. It's the gospel of God. It's not your gospel, my gospel. I didn't die. For, the, for, for you um, he Jesus did so he calls it God's gospel but he ensures that the message was true and six times he says he mentions the gospel the gospel what is the gospel the gospel is good news it's good news that though you and I if we were to try and try and try we could never make it to heaven and as good as we God as much as we quit doing bad things we can never clean ourselves up uh, for, for the Lord. So the gospel is good news that's saying Jesus has paid the price. He's done it all for us. You need to come to him and let him be the power in your lives. And as you draw close to him, you know, you just see things fading away and see your life fading away and the old person fading away. And you're putting on a new person. But he didn't come with any error or bad deceit or bad uncleanness in his mind about that. And the same thing is within the marriages and the churches, or as it is in raising children, is the same thing because it speaks of clearly of there's only one gospel, and our children and in the homes need to have that same gospel. We need to fight to keep the gospel alive in our homes. The good news, you know, it's interesting. You see, um, young parents sometimes, and especially the the time when I see them the most is at the check stand because at the check stand, what do they have? 
all the candy and the gum and all these things. And so they make it through all their shopping lists and the basket is loaded. And they get to the check stand and the kid's already playing with one toy because they had a conniption in aisle five. And they come up to the check stand and they throw that toy down because they see all the little ones over there. Then they go crazy, you know. And, and you just see the frantic on bombs and the frantic on the dad's faces as they get up there. And I'm thinking, whoo, man, it's, it's dangerous. But you need to keep to that code. You need to keep to the things that God has shown you. And if we don't hold Jesus in high esteem, then how are we going to operate with our children? The, the code. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, one of the greatest responsibilities for the churches is to maintain accuracy in the gospel message. That we would be true to the word. That's what Paul's saying here. You and I have a responsibility as recipients of the gospel to keep it true in our homes, in our lives, and when we tell others. But the church's responsibility especially is that we need to keep the teaching of the Bible clear and accurate. Not mixed with anything that we might feel, oh, this might draw the crowd more, this might be more appealing, oh, I'll really woo them this week, you know. That's not what it's about. You see, it's not going to be, it's not left to you and I to dress the gospel up. The gospel was dressed in a, a crown of thorns and in a robe that was bloodshed. That's what the gospel was dressed up. And people don't need to hear any of our fancy slogans or whatever to get it out there. They need to know the truth <clears throat> because it's only the truth that can set them free. You see, the same as today, relying on something to attract people to bring them into church. Many are clothing the gospel with carnal methods, but and they do have a hope that you know God's going to add to the church. I don't know if it's their church or the kingdom, but they want to build it up and they, they want to hope that God you know would, would do a work. But we can trust in God himself. And we can trust in Him power. We don't have to wor worry about carnal methods out there trying to make something happen. You know, trying to, hey, let's get these fog machines or whatever. Let's drop gold dust from heaven or whatever, whatever it might be. And see, what we need to do is, I think of the church, when you look at the history of the church that God seemed to be pleased with, well, it says, when 3,000 were added to the church in Acts chapter 2, remember that? What did Peter... <laughs> 3,000 were added to the church, and it said, for they, they continue steadfastly upon the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra broke out the word and the thousands of people were scattered out there, they began to say, wow, that's the word of God. Because they, the neglecting of the word of God got them in the carnal lifestyle. And it got them away from God. So when they come to the place of hearing God's word, we need to stay true to it because that's the truth that we stand upon. And so today, in the, you think of the world that we live in, let's be faithful to Acts 2.42, being steadfast upon the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. So important. Also, I think of um, Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, and some were called to be apostles and teachers, uh, apostles teach, or uh, pastors teachers, for, here's the purpose, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip, God desires that we equip you, the pastors and leaders, would equip the, the church. For you, that you might learn how to not only serve the kingdom out there, but in, inside and outside of these walls. That we're equipped to serve, uh, uh, to serve in the ministry, wherever, wherever God sends us. And so it's not about how to dress it up or make it look more palatable. And listen, if we use carnal methods, they're going to produce carnal Christians. If we have concerts of some sort, and I'm just throwing some stuff out there, if we do you know, some things, I don't know what churches do nowadays. I, I don't have a brain that works into so much creativity, and maybe that's good. But um, you, know, you get out there, and that's what they're going to want. You start feeding them entertainment, they're going to want entertainment. And because what you use to catch them is what they're going to want to feed on. And Paul says, you know what? I'll tell you. It's just we have to be not teaching in error. Make sure that it's true. So you, especially the young men that are serving, coming up in the church, make sure that your motives are pure and make sure that that word is spot on. Because you're going to be held accountable one day. And this is what he says. You know, make sure of that. And so all these special attractions and secret sense of methods that they're worldly, worldly and they're man-centered. Whereas the gospel, it's a divine message from God. 
It's his letter to mankind. And every time the church tries to wrap up the gospel to better present it, they end up diluting or cheapening what it was all about. That Jesus paid for our sins. That's not so pretty when you look about the, think about the sacrifices. Think about what Jesus has done. You think about, I mean, you just watch the movie um, Passion. Thank you. You just watch that movie and think, wow, and that's only a portion of what he went See, we need to make sure that our motives are pure as, as well as teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, Paul warns us, and he says, you know what, he tells of his own life, and I think it's a warning to us, he says that um, we were approved by God, we're not pleasing men. You know, he says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as, men, not as pleasing men, but God who tests the heart. So men pleasers, they're told what they can and cannot say. I have some pastor acquaintances of mine that are told what they can't say. We don't want you teaching on creation. We don't want you to talk about creation. Nope, nope. And so what's interesting is pastorlings are, or pastors are nothing but men pleasers. The men pleasers are hirelings. And they can tell you what you can and cannot say. You see... I thought yesterday I did a um, kind of a family wedding. I normally I won't do these. Normally don't do them for unsafe people. But I did it for this family because I felt that the Lord led me there to do this. And at their wedding, um, he says uh, at the Friday night at the rehearsal, and it was just a home wedding, you know. And I, he says, <clears throat> uh, he says, Uncle, um, how much do I owe you? And I said, I told you you can't hire me. And I went in there because I know that he can't hire me. And, and, and this goes for anything and everything. Um, he can't hire me. I get to say what I want to say. Right? And so I got to share with them the gospel message and the true foundation of what their marriage needs to be built upon. Not that I haven't shared that with them, but I was not only accountable to God, but all the people. There was about 60 people crammed in this house um, that were listening to that message. And so it was just a neat thing that if you're a hireling, then they're going to be able to say, well, you got to check this box. Don't check that box. Don't teach Romans. Don't teach. You see, if you're a hireling, you get told what you can and cannot do. But the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 7, he says, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There's only one that we should please. Not men, because men are fickle. Men, men, women, people, if you try and please them, oh man, I would look out here, and how am I going to please all you guys? Well, I'll give you the gospel. That should do it. That's all I got. So uh, there comes a time when we have to ask ourselves in our own lives, uh, who am I trying to please? Who am I living for? What am I doing? And it's sad but true, but the Word of God, it's been replaced in the church for the primary reason so that it doesn't offend people. And so people would rather be men-pleasers, and they, they've taken away the Word of God, and they say, let's make it more palatable with these nice series. And they'll never get to some of the, I, some of the most important issues that we not we, but the, the na our nation votes on today that are non-biblical issues to be voting on, but they put them on the ballot and the church doesn't know how to vote for them because they're not biblical, uh, they're, they're biblically ignorant of the things that are in the Bible. But if we know the Bible, they're going to say, wait, wait, check, that's against God. That's against God. Nope, I don't have to vote for that. Nope, I don't have to vote for that. I'll love them, but I don't have to vote for that. Nope, nope, no, I don't have to vote for that. And it makes our voting that much more simple. Because we can go to Christian.com, which is a, or whatever the voting regs are out there, the helps out there, or we can go to the Bible. And the Bible's pretty clear on some issues, so we're thankful. And we need to be about what the Bible has for it. And so, for several years ago, there was this time when church leaders and, and boards and leadership were getting together, and what they did was they were telling pastors, tone it down. They were telling them to tone it down. Don't mention the blood. If you mention blood, it's gory. That'll never bring people back. They'll come one time and they'll leave. Don't mention sin. <laughs> if you mention sin, they're really going to leave. Why don't you just kind of smooth them a little bit? Give them a little sugar. Or, you know, just sweeten it up a little bit. And that's what's happened. And you remember in the church, they, when they stopped talking about repentance, and, and what I said earlier, they start using carnal methods so you get carnal Christians. So all of a sudden you come in and you have churches that are seeing that they have needs in their lives 
but you're not bringing them to truth so they have no leg to stand upon. And people are trying to please men than God. And what happens is you begin these big series like the Purpose Driven Church. And on billboards throughout the nation, we had, we're a purpose-driven church. I'm a, purpose, I'm a Bible-driven church. And I want to be, have, have, the Bible has plenty of purpose in it. And, and, and the same thing like, you know, um, the shack or seeker-sensitive movement that came out. When people didn't want to have uh, their, their messages, they didn't want to offend people, they wanted to fill their, their, their auditoriums and their sanctuaries and their budgets. Instead of being faithful, and all those books, by the way, I think you can find one. It's in a second-hand bookstore right now. I still have the Bible, and I'm still going to stay to the code and keep to the code. Here's the thing. Listen, <clears throat> you see people are more worried about po being politically correct or sensitive to sin than they are doctrinally aware. And the church leaders and the preachers are being too sensitive to sin when we need to speak the truth in love and give them the only cure available. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, 11 and 12 that the Word of God is sharp. You've got to watch how, you, you, gotta watch how you, you, you use it. You just don't... You, the, it's like a surgeon's scalpel. So you use this very delicately. And you bring it right to the cut, the source, and let it cut. And the reason why it cuts so razor sharp is so that it heals without a scar. You see? And that's what we need to do. Not be pleasing to men, but let God do the work. The, the same God who wrote these words will be faithful to convict, bring them to Christ, and then heal the wounds. Heal the cut. And we have to be faithful in that, in that measure. So instead of being politically correct, let's be biblically correct. And then we, have the, we also have the only answer for mankind's problems. And in my own opinion, this is my own opinion. I think it's pretty accurate, but you can send me an email later. I think that the church, especially in America, has made more of a business out of the gospel than it has a ministry of the gospel. And we're prostituting the gospel to fill our sanctuaries and to fill our budgets and all this stuff when we need to be faithful to God's word. Look, I don't want to be so thrilled and filled if we had four services or had to go to two services or whatever. That's wonderful. But I'm not trying to get there. If we try to get there, when I get to heaven, I don't want to see God and Jesus say, what were you doing? What were you doing, my friend? You see, we're not to be men pleasers. We're to be God pleasers. Remember in, in Acts chapter 2, the gospel was going out, and they thought that the, the leaders were drunk. And they asked him a few questions. And at the end of Peter's sermon, when 3,000 were added, just before 3,000 were added, it says, now when they, in verse 37, he says, now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the gospel truth. They heard what was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was truth. It wasn't entertainment. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Men pleaser? I think not. What should we do? Repent. That's it. It's what we're to do. Repent. And so minister, ministers and ministries today, we can never look for man's approval, but God's approval. We need to not please man, but please God. Listen, people may not be heard telling you that you have to go to surgery to have something removed, but you'll be, done with, you'll be fine at the end when it's done, won't you? I didn't want to hear I had to go under the knife. I, yeah, i got to go under the knife. I don't want to go under the knife. I don't like doctors. I don't like hospitals. I mean, I like doctors. I don't like hospitals. But you go in there, and, and if I hadn't have done what I've done, then I wouldn't have been cured. And I'm thankful. And that's the same way when God's word comes in, it cuts us, and we get what it needs to get out, and it closes us back up. We're thankful. I don't like going through the process. When God calls me on the carpet, when I'm sitting before him, he goes, Al, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, Lord, yeah. What do you want? You want to do some outreach? What do you want to do? I'm on a mission trip? What do you want? I'm all ears. No, I want to talk to you about your heart. Oh, you know? That's what we need to watch. And then look at verse 5. He says, um, watch your motives. He says, for neither at any time did we use flattery words. As you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Listen, someone once said that flattery is a person who manipulates rather than communicates. And we can hide behind flattery, I'll tell you. We can hide behind. We had a lot of pain in flattery when God wants to heal us, as well as a lot of truth. 
And uh, Proverbs 20:19 says this, he who goes out, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with one who flatters with the lips. You see, we can't be in the business of trying to win friends and influence people by, by appealing to their egos. I mean, can you imagine that? If we just pumped everybody up around here, then we'd have better people than other people. I'm better than you are. Oh, I'm better than you are. And that's not what God has asked us to do. But a true minister of the gospel, including parents and spouses in their, li- in their lives, a true follower of the Lord, we're to deal honestly in love when speaking about things like sin and judgment. We're to be honest about them. And I've gotten a lot of people upset with me. I mean, I have over the years. I know that. I don't apologize. Maybe if I, I said it in a wrong way, like in, like I said, in, in my way, in a prideful way, and I, I try, hope I never do that, and I'll call them. And I might tell them that, you know what, hey, what I said to you, I don't take anything back. But the way I said it, I was kind of wrong, so forgive me. I had a little bit of emphasis in my flesh in there. And I didn't want that. But listen, um, there's a lot of people that might be upset with me, but when they die, they're not going to be able to go to the great white judgment, the throne of judgment. They're not going to be able to say, well, I never heard that from that guy. I never heard that you had to repent. What do you mean? That's monkey business. I never heard anything like that. No, nope. you speak the truth, right? And then, and then again, he says, not that cloak of, of um, motives, not the cloak of uh, motives or anything like that. And then, and then he goes down, he says, don't see glory from men in verse 6. He says, uh, look, nor do we seek the glory from men. People will often look for position. They'll look, they'll look at the dangle in front of others and all this stuff. He says, you know, you better watch out. Remember Nadab and Abihu? <laughs> they were the guys that had that uh, fire that was out there and uh, that uh, they didn't work out too well for them. So you better watch out on that. And remember, even the eyes of the, in the eyes of the religious leaders of their time, Jesus said they loved the praises of men more than they did God. And be careful in that. And then if you look uh, in verse 7, uh, real briefly, he talks about being gentle and faithful. He says, so these are the things you should do. So he says in verse 7, be gentle among, your, uh, among you, but we were gentle among you, Paul says we were, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you, uh, we were well pleased to impart to you, again, not only the gospel of God, it's not your gospel or my gospel, it's God's gospel, but also our own lives, um, because you have become dear to us, and for we remember, brethren, that our labor and toil and uh, laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to you, uh, of any to or to any of you, we preach the gospel to you. So, listen. The emphasis here of uh, the stewards is faithfulness. He talks about a mother, and I'll tell you, just you guys know the gentleness that a mom has. When I, when I was a child, and I can still remember this today, when I banged my knee, stubbed my toe, had a cut, I didn't run a dad. I ran a mom. And I remember just to this day, just having my tears melt right on her chest, right there with my head on her chest. You, moms knew how to cherish, right? And there's the thing that we have. Moms are wired differently than dads. Dads are... we. Sometimes we can't move fast enough mentally. I mean, I'm not dogging the men, but I can't. And, you know, moms can just go with the flow. They're wired differently. you got this mega system up here with all these wires, and they're just able to do such a thing and praise God for them. Um, but here's the thing. You know, he says his nursing moms, and you think about being in ministry, especially, again, speaking to the, the crowd of men that want to be raised up, you think about the... Little babies, they don't really, you can't set the clock and have them, well, I'll feed them at this time and that time. I'm going to get like eight hours sleep and get my toenails done and feet rubbed. And No, they'll call you at three o'clock in the morning and then again at five o'clock in the morning. My daughter uh, knows that very well. She's got two in diapers right now. <laughs> they, don't, they don't make a plan. They don't say, hey, okay, mom, I'm good for, you know, I'll see you in the morning. Nope, they're usually up three or four times a night. That's how people are sometimes. But you, as you minister the gospel, you got to cherish them. You get tired of them, huh, that's a bad attitude. You get tired of the things you're going through, that's a real bad attitude. And they may need to be taken care of at the most inconvenient times, but you've got to be there. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, you know what, you're to have compassion as, a, compassion as a nursing mom. And then he says in verse 8, he says, we're also to have affection. And that's just that longing, that we really love the people. We long to be with them. We want to be there. I don't care what they're going through. I want to be there. I'm not the fix-all. God is. But I just want to love on them. 
Love covers a multitude of sin, and love is the, the greatest gift. And then in verse 9, he, he, he brings this out. He says that we're to be, uh, tells, tells us of their faithfulness, of Paul's faithfulness. They served day and night. They were a burden to no one. They just served day and night. Ministries like this, so is parenting, marriages, just like this. You never seem to get a break. <laughs> I mean, it's just going on and on and on and on, and some things go on and go on and go on. And uh, it's just the way it is. And that's ministry. You know, you think about, you know, moms working there all day long, changing diapers, and then they're waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning, again at 5 o'clock in the morning. I applaud young mothers. I applaud all moms for doing this and, and doing what they do because they're so awesome. And we're to be like that. And ministers of the gospel, it's long hours. It's not difficult, to, or it is difficult at times, and it doesn't fit our schedule. We can't set the alarm by it. And our schedule has to be flexible because we never know what it is. And there are a lot of things that I used to do that I don't do anymore, not because I don't want to do them, but because I just have other things that God has enlisted me to do. And you, as a, uh, you, I think each of us has to be sensitive to that, that we would be sensitive to what is it that God would have us do. And then lastly, uh, we see in, in verse 10, uh, excuse me, in, in verse uh, yeah, 7 and 8, in verse 10, 7, he says, you are my witnesses. Paul kept to the code. He says, you are my witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved among you. So you got to keep that code. Listen, he knew that they were very aware of how he conducted themselves. There was, he didn't have to go and pamper them up. He goes, you guys know how we acted. There was no misunderstanding about this. You know when we were there how devoutly, how holy or justly, how rightly, how blamelessly, how faultless we were among you while we were there. And we need to be able to say the same thing for ourselves. These are qualities that are to be found in everyone who is serving in the gospel. Husband to wife, wife to husband, parent to child, ministers out to the body of Christ and to one another. And then in verse 11, um, we too, Paul encourages us to keep to the code. He says, and he uses the example of a father here. He used the example of a mother. He says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged that every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of the gospel, worthy of, the, uh, worthy of God who called you into the ministry, called you into the, uh, excuse me, his kingdom and glory. And so as a father, we're to exhort and to encourage and we're to comfort our children. And if we don't, the world will. So he's saying, you know what? This is the way we're to be. You know, Paul says, I've done this. I might be wrapped up right now. Uh, he was in prison la later and a couple times in his ministry. But he, he and the same was for him was for the church and for the people in the church. And the same goes on for 2,000 years. Now listen, keep to the code. Keep to the code. You walk this way. You walk in this manner of where you're going to walk with integrity you're going to walk as a child, somebody once said, as a child of God, or as a, excuse me, as a child of a king walks into the room, you're going to know it. And they should be, when you and I enter in a room, whether it's a family room, workplace, the church, whatever, wherever we are, doctor's office, they should know there's something different about that person. And they know that we're different because the way we act, and the way we act is because we're a king's kid. We act totally different. You know, we were down at the Highlands years ago, and we were talking about Talking to these young kids, uh, a couple of them just moved up from California. And he had addressed me, and he said at the end of the day, and we were playing basketball with him and hanging out with him, and he addressed me and he says, there's something different about you. I said, what's that? He goes, I haven't heard a curse word out of your mouth all day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but we're to have that way. We're, we're to have our lives in a manner that we should walk worthy of God. We're not looking at men to see what they think, but what God thinks. And you and I are children of the Most High, and it's, it's, it's easy maybe to live up to our family name. Maybe it's easier for you. For me, it kind of was. We didn't have much to honor in it, but it was there. But how much now that we are to live up to the honor our King and honor our Eternal Father and honor Him, He's the King of Kings, and He's the Lord of Lords, and we're to honor His name. And all of these things that Paul would point to from verses 1 to 11 actually are culminated here to end up to point to verse 12. And in verse 12, because he says, regardless, again, of, of ministry, of church leadership, of the marriage, however it might look, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
This is the, the appeal that uh, leads lives worthy of God. This is the appeal that Paul has to say, you know what? I know how it is out there, but this is how it needs to be. You guys walk worthy. You know how we were among you in much conflict and much troubles and much trials. And there's not a person around here sitting to the left or the right in front of you or behind you that you look out there and they say, oh, they got it all together. I don't have it all together. And I know better to look out than any of you think you have it all together. But I am so encouraged by the way you get through the trials in your life. By your trusting God in the midst of all of these things. So the appeal is to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Especially for those who have tasted the grace of God and salvation. And this applies to us. But it's also that we might need, if we need to change any direction that we have in our lives, that we look at it and say, you know what, I've got to do a little food for thought here. I wonder where I'm at. And when, you know, you and I look at this place, uh, how are we? How am I? That calling to the ministry, I better uphold it. That calling to be a father, a mother, a wife, brother, a son, a daughter. Now that I'm a child of God, I need to walk in a way that is worthy of God. And this morning we're going to have the ushers come forward and they're going to, we're going to take communion because that's going to remind us, right? Communion ought to put our minds wrapped back around who it is that we are here to walk worthy of, not men pleasers. And as the worship team comes back up here, we're going to look at those very things. We're going to look at Christ. We're going to look at what he's done just for a moment as we take communion. But we want to honor the Lord with our lives. After all, taking communion should remind us of the things that he's done for us. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, come forward. Come. The greatest thing that you can do is not take communion, but come and get saved. Come and give your life to Jesus. Come and give your life to him. He's here to meet with you, and we'll have our elders up here to meet with you. Well, they'll be here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to lead you to the Lord and we'll give you some information on what it's like to be a child of God. They'll be up here. And then we'll take communion together. But this is what it's all about. God has saved us. May we represent Him as a church very well in teaching the truth of His Word. And then may we live in the truth of His Word in this day and age in which we live. So Father, we thank you. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.